Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. Let's dive in. Well, ever since uh, Joe Biden became president, and especially in the build-up to the 2022 midterm election, the Republican Party has been telling us that if they could get into the majority in the House of Representatives, as they now have done, and have control over the House Oversight Committee, be able to do congressional investigations, they could reveal the corruption of Joe Biden, the true and horrible corruption and coordination that went on with Biden, the FBI, and uh, Twitter to suppress bad information about Biden to help Biden in the 2020 election. Now, we've walked through, because those claims have been around for a while, the dishonesty of them. Um, but now this is the Republican Party's big moment. And it was a flop. They had these um, House Oversight Committee congressional hearings and uh, brought Twitter employees in front of Congress to ask them about all these different questions and to spread all these different claims about the horrible corruption of Joe Biden and Twitter and how Twitter caused um, Trump to lose the 2020 election. And so many wild things came out of this. Before I discuss further, let's start off with this just to give you a sense of how uh, cartoonish these hearings became and embarrassing for the GOP. And again, it was supposed to be their moment, which makes this even more hilarious, where Marjorie Greene makes clear what her real concern is with this. But you violated me. What, did, what were my tweets? Okay, let's talk about them. I was talking about the deaths being reported on VAERS. By the way, that's on the CDC website. I was also saying that I didn't think the in any entity should enforce a non-FDA non approved vaccine or mask. Guess what? A lot of people agreed with me, but you called that COVID misinformation. By the way, I'm a member of Congress and you're not. Mm, nailed it. So these, you know, hearings on the handling of the Hunter Biden laptop story by Twitter turned into there was a moment with Lauren Boebert too um but there's so many things we won't be able to cover just because there were so many moments that were interesting from this um and Marjorie Greene Lauren Boebert take it as an opportunity to complain about their own accounts having tweets flagged or uh being suspended because of different batches of misinformation that were spreading and this brings us to the conversation and then we'll look at so many more fascinating elements of this hearing um the conversation of it's strange how much confusion there is on the difference between the First Amendment and private social media platforms and their decisions on how they manage those platforms. Because I think it's a perfectly fair conversation to have. What should the terms of service of Twitter be? And as users, collectively, we could pressure them to change them to our liking. But what is being done here dishonestly by the GOP is trying to frame this, frame the decisions of Twitter as almost a governmental power and make it a First Amendment issue. She started off with, you violated me. And the narrative we've heard so much is you're violating our freedom of speech. Now, if Marjorie Greene, even though as she noted there, she's a congresswoman, um, decides to join a platform like Twitter, she's subjected to the terms of service of that private company's social media platform. Again, you can disagree with the policies, you can try to push to change them, but using your power as a congressperson to question employees of Twitter about why your tweets were flagged during a very uh, important and critical time where misinformation was causing a lot of harm is quite 
the um, improper usage of that position of power, I would say. Now we move on, getting away from just the random tangents we saw from Marjorie Greene um, and others to some of the main narratives coming out of these hearings. Again, what they're supposed to be looking at is how did Twitter mishandle the Hunter Biden laptop story? And the story is the New York Post released um, this big story about how Biden and Hunter Biden and the laptop and all these different things. And it was temporarily taken down the New York Post's account because Twitter marked it as misinformation. Then they realized it wasn't rising to the level of misinformation that would warrant that. And so they put it back up on the platform before the election. And it actually got even more coverage because it was taken down. So this story of this caused the difference in the election is quite silly. And platforms make mistakes and we can be mad at them for that. And um, they said we shouldn't have taken it down at all. But again, they put it back up before the election even took place. And so that's what all of this kind of blossomed out of. And we get to the part of this that has been so widely misunderstood, which is the Biden campaign's role. And the moment I'm about to show you here is one of the Twitter um, executives or employees getting asked about communications that were revealed through the Twitter files that Elon Musk uh, enlisted Matt Taibbi to do that uh, showed the Biden campaign being in communications with Twitter saying, hey, here are some posts or some tweets that we think are against your policies. Could you take a look at them? And they'll freak out about that, ignoring that the Trump administration, as we'll get to later, really funny moment on that, um, did the exact same thing and had the exact same um, access as the Biden campaign. And this was actually the government, the Trump administration. And so again, they ignore that because it's just obvious hypocrisy. But let's take a look at this moment and we'll discuss further. Like Do you know how many tweets were actually flagged and taken down at the behest of the Biden team? And this is Representative Byron Donalds. I wouldn't agree with the characterization of it as being at the behest of them. These tweets were reported and Twitter independently evaluated them under its but the, rules. But the, but the email is very clear. More to review from Biden team. The response three hours later at the bottom, hold this up real quick so we can see. The request at the bottom, it says, handled these. What does handled these mean? My understanding is that these tweets contained non-consensual nude photos of Hunter Biden and they were removed by the company under- Hold on, real quick, Mr. Roth, how could you know so much about the content of these tweets? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, these are just web addresses. I don't know what's in these tweets. You have these things committed to memory that you know the content, but you don't know who you, call, who you talk to at the Biden team? Sir, I didn't meet with the Biden team, but there was extensive public reporting about these tweets specifically that right. uncovered what they you were. You know the content. Yes, so the links he's talking about there, because this has been reported on extensively, are known to be um, uh, links to content that had not consensually, unconsensually released photos of Hunter Biden within them. And that's against Twitter's terms of service. The Biden campaign came to Twitter and said, hey, this is against your terms of service. Twitter said, we'll look at it independently. They did. They took it down. And um, because, again, against their terms of service. Now, the Trump administration had also asked for things to be taken down. And you can have a problem with the fact that powerful people, um, politicians, whatever it might be, have more access to high ups at 
companies like Twitter, you can have a problem with that. But if you're going to freak out about the Biden campaign, you would have to freak out with the actual government if you're making this a First Amendment issue um, and the role that Trump had in that. Then you have Representative Clay Higgins threatening the arrest of these Twitter employees. You, ladies and gentlemen, interfered with the United States of America 2020 presidential election, knowingly and willingly. That's the bad news. It's going to get worse because this is the investigation part. Later comes the arrest part. Completely uncalled for and dangerous rhetoric there. Now we get to some of the Democratic representatives' moments during this that were absolutely uh, wonderful. And just so that I cover all the different random things that were being thrown out there, the other narrative that they ran with a lot was um, the FBI, because they also had communications with Twitter at some point, um, saying, hey, just like we saw in the last election, be prepared, be on the lookout, because a lot of mis misinformation, possible foreign influence is going to uh, come in before the election, likely on Twitter. And that was taken to mean the FBI was forcing Twitter into suppressing bad things about Biden, um, which has not been proven. And of course, the FBI, with their extensive intelligence apparatus, we all should be concerned about the idea that foreign governments will try to influence our elections and the mindset of Americans through social media is going to provide some information to companies like Twitter and other social media platforms, and they communicate with private industry in so many different ways as well. And as long as they're doing that, but leaving it up to the company to make the final decision, that should be okay. Now, if they were forcing Twitter to do something in particular, now that would be a different discussion. Okay, now we get to the Democratic representative's moments here. This is Representative uh, Maxwell Frost, and you probably have already seen the viral moment we'll get to second. But first, this sitting here for over two hours and I'm, I'm still not really seeing the point of this hearing. Um, is it to solve the problems of the American people, what people are struggling with? No, uh, we, we get it. My Republican colleagues wish that the Hunter Biden story would have helped them win the 2020 election. And that didn't happen. And so they're angry about it. And that's the point of this hearing. You know, it was the, actually the foundation of the chairman's opening statement. It's why he brought up that that poll on the 2020 election. That's what this is all about sitting here for over two hours it is strange because i have wondered when will the republican party realize that running on hunter biden to take down joe biden is just not a winning issue as has been shown time and time again now um and then the biggest moment from this hearing where the point I was previously alluding to before that the Trump administration, the Trump White House had gone to Twitter asking for things to be taken down is explained here. Uh, Miss uh, uh, Nervoli, earlier you testified about a 2019 tweet um, that was about President Trump. And I think it was from uh, Miss Teagan. What was the tweet about? Would you like me to give the direct quote? Yeah. Um, Please excuse my language. This is a direct quote, but Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy ass bitch. Okay. Free speech. And what happened after Ms. Teigen posted her tweet? What did the White House do? What did the Trump White House do? From my understanding, the White House reached out to ask that this tweet be removed. It was my team's uh, job. Uh, this fell underneath the policy for abusive behaviors and we evaluated underneath our insults policy. At that time, up to three insults were allowed, and so it was our job to determine how many insults were. Right. So the 
Trump White House because Trump got called some mean words. We're going to Twitter, had closer access, just like the Biden campaign, but this was the actual government. So if you're caring about the First Amendment saying that, oh my goodness, free speech is being violated because things were requested to be taken down um, from the platform of Twitter, then you have to care about the Trump White House going to Twitter and asking uh, for something to be taken down for quite the petty reason. People call other people mean words all the time. That shouldn't be something you try to, um, or even just waste time on. It should be something you waste time on caring about. Then you have Katie Porter summing up this hearing quite nicely. Today's hearing is merely an ex exercise in misinformation and disinformation, a free-for-all hellscape. That's what now CEO Elon Musk said Twitter would become if the platform became a place where anyone could say anything with no consequences. It is unbelievable to me that I am quoting Elon Musk, but that is how ridiculous this hearing has become. The Oversight Committee, like Twitter, or any other social media company for that matter, cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything goes. Very nicely said, and this is all just, as we know, a big political stunt for the Republicans, and even that they failed on. They weren't even able um, to do their political stunt properly. Quite humiliating, I would say. Let's take a look at a couple moments here from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from this House Oversight Committee hearing looking into Twitter's handling of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And we talked about in the previous segment how this was quite the flop for the GOP and did not go as they probably had hoped. And now we're going to look at AOC just breaking down some important elements of this very nicely. Take a look at the first moment. And follow up on a point that uh, the opposition and uh, the other side of the aisle is making, which is uh, trying to insinuate that there is something scandalous or unusual about federal agency outreach to uh, social media platforms and other um, organizations such as Twitter. Uh, the insinuation here is that in the FBI and other agencies reaching out to Twitter, that there's something nefarious about this, that this was some sort of partisan weaponization or attempt to intimidate. But we actually have quite a, a documented history of representatives from the Trump administration hailing the progress that the government had made in working with companies like Twitter to counter foreign influence operations and other uh, other you know, areas of, of concern. In early March 2020, right before the Super Tuesday primary election, several Trump administration officials, including Mike Pompeo, Bill Barr, Chad Wolf, and acting a director of, of national intelligence, Richard Grinnell, issued a statement praising the government's cooperation with the private sector to fend off foreign interference and said that the relationship was, quote, stronger than it's ever been. This and for the this was around this whole time. And for the sake of time, we will um, end that there. But making the point that I touched on in the last segment, that this idea that because communications are being put forward, um, 
between the FBI and Twitter, something nefarious was going on. You actually have to prove that something nefarious was going on. Just the presence of those communications is not nefarious at all. There's tons of communication between the public and private sector. Of course, if we're going to have a conversation in our country about foreign influence, and they love to have that conversation about TikTok, for example, but then ignore it, I guess, with platforms such as Twitter, then we have to recognize that the FBI, as long as they act appropriately and not forcing companies to do something um, and violate certain rights and all that type of stuff, if they're just giving some of the information they're able to gather on different uh, misinformation drops that might happen or different foreign government's intentions of doing certain things, then that can actually be quite beneficial and it's not nefarious and the Trump administration was in the habit of celebrating that fact until um, this story becomes their focus. So one more moment from AOC. Let's talk about something real. I'd like to show you a tweet posted by former President Trump about my colleagues and I on July 14th, 2019. It says in part, quote, why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how it's done. These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy as quickly to work out free travel arrangements. A day or two after that, uh, Donald Trump publicly uh, incited you know, violence at a rally, uh, targeting four congresswomen, including myself, saying, go back to where you came from. Uh, Ms. Navarroli, as I understand it, you were uh, the most senior member of Twitter's content moderation team, or a senior member of Twitter's content moderation team when this was posted. Um, as part of your responsibilities, did you review this tweet? Yes, it was my team's responsibility to review these tweets. And what did you conclude? My team made the recommendation that for the first time we find Donald Trump in violation of Twitter's policies and use the public interest interstitial. For the first time? Yes. And at the time, Twitter's policy included a specific example when it came to banned abuse uh, against immigrants as in, they specifically included the phrase, go back to your country or go, or go back to where you came from, correct? Yes, that was specifically included in the content moderation guidance as and an you, example. You brought this up to the vice president of trust and safety, Del Harvey, correct? I did, yes. And she overrode your assessment, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, and something interesting happened after she overrode your assessment. A day or two later, Twitter seemed to have changed their policies, didn't they? Yes, that trope, go back to where you came from, was removed from the content moderation guidance as an example. So it is wild because the narrative, separate from the Hunter buy a laptop story specifically, generally about Twitter that is being pushed in many of these situations, is that they suppress conservatives and are trying to um, work against the interests of people like Trump. But in this situation, when he's spewing vile rhetoric, they actually bent their rules, changed their policies so that he wouldn't be um, face any repercussions for the violations he had done under terms of service. That is the exact opposite of what the conservative movement right now, at least who are focused on this story, want us to believe. Actually, Twitter was breaking their back to try to help Trump stay on the platform and help other conservatives, other far right um, extremists in other reporting we've looked at actually stay, not be punished, not have the rules applied to them because they were afraid of the backlash that they might um, get.
which is so important to focus on. And to me, these hearings, even though they were a complete joke for the most part, actually highlighted a very important point there, which is the story should be Trump got treated so much differently. He got special treatment and Twitter did things for him they would not do for anyone else. And so instead of freaking out about all these distorted um, bits of facts about these different situations that they're concerned with right now, maybe they should be thinking, holy smokes, we've been completely wrong this whole time. Everything's the exact opposite of what we previously thought. Very incredible stuff there. Well, Senator uh, John Fetterman was hospitalized the other night because he was feeling um, lightheaded. Take a look at this. King overnight, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman has been hospitalized. His staff says the senator was at a Democratic retreat when he began feeling lightheaded. Fetterman had a stroke in May. His primary care physician provided an update back in October saying that he could work full duty in public office. The senator's office says that initial tests did not show evidence of a new stroke, but Fetterman would remain at the hospital overnight for observation. They also said he was in good spirits and talking with family. Very um, important there. Of course, he had a stroke shortly before um, the Democratic primary election, and so that's what makes this even more concerning we'll look at one more bit here from cnn about this and now you fast forward to to this point where he has this episode of lightheadedness two things one is that it could just be lightheadedness which does occur in people it can be for all sorts of different reasons um but also given his past medical history they have to be very diligent about this if they're saying at this point there's no evidence of stroke one thing to sort of point out from that standpoint is that it does take some time sometimes to figure out if someone has in fact had a stroke. What they're saying is he doesn't have symptoms of stroke right now, but I'm sure they're doing scans. They're looking at his heart to see if there's any other problems that are, are manifesting. Right. So we will um, continue to follow that and hopefully he is doing okay. President Joe Biden has handled the kerfluffle that was caused, we'll say, at the State of the Union when he called out some Republicans for wanting to cut Medicare and Social Security, or at least wanting to threaten them every five years with possibly sunsetting. And the GOP freaked out during that. And he said, okay, good. Looks like those aren't on the table then. And I really love the way this is being handled because now it's kind of a campaign talking point that we're going to make very clear exactly what Biden was referencing. And also, Biden kind of tricked them into, on national television, committing as a party to not touching those things. And so he's playing this kind of nice balance of, I'm going to be showing y'all, he's handing out pamphlets at different events, um, the exact proposal that I'm referencing here that Rick Scott a senator from Florida put forward that would sunset all federal programs every five years. And then I'm going to say, but they all committed to not touching Medicare and Social Security. So that shouldn't even be on the table when talking about spending cuts. Very nice first moment here from a recent event. They seem shocked <laughs> when I raised the plans of some of their members and their caucus to cut Social Security. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and others stood up and said, liar, liar. Reminds me of that liar, liar, house on fire, yeah. Well, guess what? 
You know, I remind you that Rick Scott from Florida, the guy who ran the U.S. Senate campaign, has a plan. I got his brochure right here. He has a plan. Here's what he says in his plan. Let me get open it up here. Sorry. He says, all federal legislation sunsets every five years. If the law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And by the way, you have a senator <clears throat> named Ron Johnson. Ron Johnson on Social Security and Medicare, quote, we should transfer everything. So we have to consider everything every year. I mean, it's interesting. Biden goes through these different uh, cycles of kind of optical wins where you'll just not hear from him and a lot of weaker moments publicly. And then all of a sudden it's back to back stronger moments I've noticed in the way he clashes with the Republicans. And right now this, I love. Go with this because it not only makes clear that important programs to Americans, Medicare and Social Security, Medicaid, could be threatened if you were to give more power to the Republican Party. Also, it reveals their dishonesty because they acted so offended that he said this, and then you provide the receipts and um, show that he was being honest during the State of the Union. Then getting to the part of him saying, but listen, if they're committing to not touching these things, I'm good with that, which is the perfect way to commit them to that um, before any negotiations took place about spending. A lot of Republicans, their dream is to cut Social Security and Medicare. Well, let me just say this. It's your dream, but I'm going to my veto pen make it a nightmare. But here's... But here's actually the good news. There's a lot of good Republicans. I found it interesting that when I called them out on that last night, it sounded like they agreed to take these cuts off the table. Remember I said, no, I'm serious. Remember what I said? I said, so, so you're not going to cut it, huh? No. I said, okay, we got a deal. Well, I sure hope that's true. I'll believe it when I see it and their budgets laid down with their cuts they're proposing. But it looks like we negotiated a deal last night on the floor of the House of Representatives. Perfect. Um, again, optical kind of um, political fighting and uh, tangoing with the other side is not always Biden's strong suit, especially in the public eye. He doesn't nail public appearances so often, but this is great. This is a really good way to go about it. And um, I'm enjoying watching the way that the Republican Party is not effectively uh, responding on their end to Biden's recent critiques of their stances. Senator Rick Scott is the individual who's been focused on as the person who put forward his plan to rescue America. In that plan, there is a provision or a part of it, a bullet point that says all federal legislation should be sunsetted every five years if it's worth keeping Congress should have to reauthorize it every single five years, which would put Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid at risk every five years, as Biden um, noted in his State of the Union. And so because this caused quite the debacle, Rick Scott has been getting asked about it, as you'll see on CNN 
and his dishonesty is truly remarkable. Is that Senator, Senator Rick Scott of Florida. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I think my first question has to be, given the fact that the president is now using this as an attack line, was it a mistake to propose this? No. First off, nobody believes that I want to cut Medicare or Social Security. I've never said it. I've never said it. In that same plan, I said Congress needs to once a year tell the American public how they're going to make sure those programs don't go bankrupt because they're in the verge of bankrupts. And here's the difference between Joe Biden and me. I've never proposed it. In 1975, he has a bill, a sunset bill, and it says it requires every program to be looked at freshly at least every four years, not, not just cost, but worthiness. And, Caitlin, he said, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits. I meant every single solitary thing in government. So here's the difference. I've never proposed it. He proposed it in a bill, and he fought for it year after year after year. You're talking about what he proposed back in, you know, 1975, almost 50 years ago. But you have said he's twisting your words, but isn't that the same thing that what you're proposing now, what you rolled out last summer? Mine says, mine says clear. Mine says clear. You know, if it's worth keeping, we're going to keep it. In his case, okay, I mean, he proposed a bill to just sunset everything. Okay, so if he's being honest about the thing Biden proposed in 1975, I would have fought so hard politically against Biden and that proposal as well. We know Biden has a past of being very, very um, conservative within the Democratic Party, and that would be a terrible idea. That was also in 1975. If your best argument against Biden and against your own terrible plan is, well, Biden had a terrible plan in 1975, then you're conceding that you just have no argument. Um, because the thing he keeps doing is, it's a truly incredible form of gaslighting. Saying a statement that means something, and then when someone tells you what it means, just restating back to you in different wording what it means, you go, oh, I didn't say that. So he's saying all federal legislation should be sunsetted if it's not passed every five years once again. That would put at risk those um, programs. And as we saw with Trump trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, often when they have a better plan for these programs, they go ahead and try to repeal um, or they put in danger the program we have at the moment before actually figuring out how they're going to implement a better program. So I can see a situation if every five years, Medicare and Social Security sunsetted, where they say, we're going to let them sunset, we're not gonna repass them, but we have a better plan. And then it just doesn't end up happening because many people, as they'll say in private conversations and as a clip was floating around of Mike Lee from a little while ago, genuinely wish that Social Security and Medicare could just be gotten rid of. Um, but they won't say that publicly for political reasons. And so it absolutely would put those programs at risk. And Rick Scott is saying all programs should sunset every five years. And then when you say it, so you're meaning Medicare and Social Security would sunset every five years if it's not repassed? What? I never said that. Oh my gosh. And then here's another example of this when the plan was initially rolling out um, from a past interview he did. And he's just not good at handling these questions. 
All right, uh, let's switch to politics now because there's a lot that we've got to look forward to between now and November the 8th. You recently put out an 11-point plan to rescue America, two of the big points of which are, quote, all Americans should pay some income tax to have skin in the game, even if a small amount. Currently, over half of Americans pay no income tax. It also says all federal legislation sunsets in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. So that would raise taxes on half of Americans and potentially sunset programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Why would you propose something like that in an election year? Sure. Well, John, that's, of course, the Democrat talking points. It's a no, no, it's plan. in the plan. <laughs> it's in well, the plan. But, here's, here, but here's this thing about reality for a second. It's First of all, let's talk but, about but, Medicare. But, Senator, but Senator hang on. John. Hang on. So it's not a Democratic talking point. It's in the plan. And also in the plan, it says we ought to every year talk about exactly how we're going to fix Medicare and Social Security. Here's what's happening. No one that I know of wants to sunset uh, Medicare or Social Security. But what so you see him doing it there on the screen. It says all federal legislation that comes right from his plan. In a previous segment, we went through uh, on a previous show the exact plan. He looks straight at the camera and says, no one wants to sunset Medicare and Social Security. You do. That's what your plan says. What are you talking about? Medicare and Social Security fall into all federal um, legislation. Those would have to be a law that you re-up every five years based on your own plan. It is truly stunning. Um, but that's what you have to do when your private ambition is to cut those things, but your public can't be because it would be very politically damaging. Well, the clash between Trump and DeSantis has gotten so hot, so aggressive, and now Trump is calling or alluding to DeSantis being a groomer, which I think just throwing that term around is so dangerous and so dishonest. But because the Republican Party, or I should say, the part of the right wing that does this has been doing it so aggressively calling all the left groomers, all LGBTQ people groomers, groomers, groomers. Now that they've turned on each other, there's a level of satisfaction that now these terms are being dishonestly thrown at each other, not just at the left, I guess. So Trump on True Social responded to someone who attached a photo of Ron DeSantis as a really young guy and said, here is Ron DeSanctimonious grooming high school girls with alcohol as a teacher. And then Trump said, that's not Ron, is it? He would never do such a thing. And then the second uh, thing from True Social, another person talking about that photo and Trump saying, no way. So there is nothing about that, the presence of that photo that tells us any of these accusations are accurate. So let's be clear on that. This is absolutely just wild accusations with a photo attached of um, DeSantis at a party. But this is what they've been doing to so many on the left, and now it's being done to DeSantis, which is absolutely wild to watch and probably quite aggravating for DeSantis. No, <laughs> the beast has turned on me. And MAGA, when they turn on people within their own party, they turn hard. So we'll see how this fight continues. But here is DeSantis at a recent event responding to Trump's recent accusations. 
through social directed at you. Some were insinuating that you. So here, here's what I would say about all that. I get, I get, I get you guys my, want the controversy. How would your proposed legislation against defamation? address those posts uh, that could be considered damaging. Well, if you think when we did the defamation panel yesterday, I made the point, look, I have a platform. It's different for me because I can fight back and people just know I face uh, defamatory stuff every single day I've been governor. That's just the nature of it. But I have a platform to fight back. A lot of these other people that are more little, they don't necessarily have a platform uh, to fight back. And so in terms of our reforms, I really want to empower them more so than people that occupy high positions like me. It just goes with the territory. You've got to have a thick skin. It's also just practically speaking, uh, I would not take time out of being governor to be fighting lawsuits. It's just not, not practical in terms of what we're doing. And I'd also just say this. I spend my time delivering results for the people of Florida and fighting against Joe Biden. That's how I spend my time. I don't spend my time trying to smear other Republicans. So taking a shot there at Trump. Very interesting to see. And uh, I really, really want to see it continue to escalate because it's fun watching uh, this be a present kind of political conflict on the right. Staying on the topic of MAGA turning on Ron DeSantis, I have a moment for you of um, Mike Lindell just melting down completely, not even taking one breath in this whole rant, um, which is quite wild to watch. But before I need to give you the context, Ron DeSantis held, and to be clear, the, the meltdown from Mike Lindell is about Ron DeSantis, and all of this is just so entertaining to, uh, to watch. DeSantis did this event where he brought in people to talk about defamation and lying of the media and all these different things and you can see actually we'll play a little bit from this video from this event the truths on the cutting room floor and the narratives that they're supporting and and furthering uh, actually damage a lot of people with lies and so we have a number of people here who are well versed either personally or professionally in the area of, of defamation law and at the end of the day, what I think... Okay, so kind of in a newsy style studio there. Well, a part of this panel was an individual named Elizabeth or Libby Locke. And she has represented, is, is currently representing Dominion Voting Systems in their defamation uh, suits against people like Mike Lindell and Rudy Giuliani based on their election lies against dominion and so desantis it seems to be a troll against trump brought someone who is representing the company that is the center of so many conspiracies about how trump lost the election to chat during this panel about um the lying of the media which is truly incredible and mike lindell was very unhappy take a look guys are running that's a long way from being done he it would disqualify oh. him from running or being the nominee? Well, it, he's totally disqualified because actually, think of this, Steve. So he's talking about DeSantis being disqualified because of this? They, the people that did the Rasmussen poll went up for me with the RNC, almost doubling the other two combined. What do I, what do I stand for? I stand for 
we got to get rid of these these computers in our elections and have fair elections elections instead of selection. You just took the number one thing on people's minds in this country, their number one concern. You can say, oh, it's the borders, it's the fentanyl, it's the gas prices. No, that all was from a stolen election. That was a manifestation of a stolen election and follows that as a country that was stolen. What he did today, he told the American people, you know what, Dominion's okay. You know what, these machines are okay. You're out. And I'm telling you, I will never, ever let up on this, Steve. This is the thing you have to understand. I, I will never stop on this. If he, you know, I don't care if he calls me up and says, How is he getting oxygen into his lungs? This is impressive. I didn't mean nothing, but it don't matter. The damage is done. You sat with them. They have tried to destroy our country. And now you're done. The best thing he could do is, is endorse Donald Trump tomorrow morning. He should just do it today. Well, this is still manifesting out because uh, he should just say, you know what? You know, I don't know. Lie, Ron. Just say you didn't know and say, but I'm going to make up to the people and I'm going to endorse Donald Trump because it'll be a big waste of time and resources for Ron DeSantis to run now. All the big money that's behind him, you just will forget about putting your dollars there now. Take those dollars and put it into a election not crime and put it into that people that are out there working hard to save your country that includes all your um big donors that are back in desantis i don't know i don't know if the Koch brothers are or who's behind it but it's disgusting oh my goodness guys i consume a lot of caffeine and have never been able to get myself to that energy level um so very unhappy. And I do think we're seeing this become very clear within the MAGA right, which is not just we want Trump, um, but Sanders has done some cool stuff. It's now shifting because that was the initial attitude when I would go to Trump rallies and stuff. People would say, yeah, I mean, Sanders is cool, but Trump's my my guy. It's shifting. And now there's a hatred developing because DeSantis is getting involved in the actual um clashing when before he would get attacked by trump but would kind of not engage now he seems to be trolling trump there we don't know for sure but bringing a defamation um or a dominion voting systems defamation case related person is quite the obvious troll of trump and uh, mike lindell has seemed to perceive it that way and so i do think we're seeing if desantis We'll go ahead and announce it's going to be quite the heated Republican primary that will be so fun to watch, so fun to cover. And we will be there every step of the way with you. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I'll see you tomorrow.